who's visiting. I see some newer faces. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace, and I'm just so delighted that you could spend some of this day with us and worship with us. I pray that you not only have a good time here, but more importantly, that you would meet with God. And some of the things that we just worked through uh, during our time of singing and during our time of encouragement, um, these are all very important things that God has for us to respond to. So I hope you were not waiting for this moment to start listening, okay? Uh, which is why when Donovan said, the, the, I, I, he said, you know, teaching doesn't end on, at this meeting. I was like, it didn't start here either, okay? Because it's important that we start to see that our relationship with God and the way he teaches and disciples his people has... N- Some of it has to do with the gathered church meeting, but most of it has to do with the daily living of his people. Okay, And that's where God disciples these things. That's where God teaches us. Um, So if you're here this morning and you're new to church and you're not familiar with things, um, stick around. It's going to be fun. Um, 2023, uh, we as a teaching team specifically have worked on some things every year. And last year, we were very focused on understanding that God has a way of operating and that we need to be people who say, Lord, how do you operate? We want to do that. So that came from this whole idea of Isaiah 55. We sang it in that song, your ways, your ways are not my own. Remember that from the song you were just singing just a few minutes ago, right? Um, we trust you, your ways are higher than our own. That's from Isaiah, okay? So you, when you say to God, Lord, your ways are not my ways. There are things that I would love to understand and fix in my way. I would love for God to operate in my framework. But God does not. His ways are not our ways. So if we establish that, and we did, we took the the whole of 2022 to establish that there are specific ways God operates. And our job is to say, Lord, we're going to meet you there. Okay? So for 2023, uh, one of the things is we don't want to endlessly be on what we would call journey mode, even though this life on earth is a journey. But I want you to see the things that this new land is about. What are we actually getting after? Okay, so to put it very simply, succinctly, what are you actually getting after? So if you say you're on a journey and life and God pursuing things of God and all of that, to what end? What's the goal? Where are you headed to? What is your promised land? And what are the things that he has done? And that's kind of what we kind of worked out a little bit during the singing portion. There was a moment where God said, there are things that I have done for you, there is a land that I have called you to, which is available for you even in the now, not just in the, in the future, now. There are things that while you're on the journey, there are things I want you to start living in. There are things I want you to start practicing as ways of living, just the way you operate. Using the name of Jesus is one of them. Okay, It's not something you're going to need to do when you get to heaven. It's something that you learn to walk in now. Now, how do I do that effectively? By paying attention to what God's word says. So that is going to be our pursuit. Okay? So to put it very simply, 
we're going to pursue the heart of God for us now. Everything that he has for us, everything that he has done for us, we need to be people who are really handling those things, not just talking about it. While, we were, while I was preparing for this series, um, I'm going to start, start us off on this journey, as it were, through this year with this singular focus. So it's, it's, how do we simplify the things we do? That word, I don't know if you heard that word during the time of worship. What God is looking for is simple faith, not complicated faith, not faith that needs to go through 15 hoops and then you got to jump and then you got to paraglide over things and none of that kind of extra fancy stuff. It's just simply saying, I take you at your word. How do I practice that? Because it's one thing for you to say it. And then you get into the errors of declaring things over your life without understanding what that means. And then it becomes empty words. Right? There's a lot of Christianity that's stuck in that mode. Where we say a lot of things over our lives that don't really have any connection relationally with the one who said it. So how do we get past all of those things to a simple faith? What is God looking for in simple faith? So to start this series off... We're going to work for a few weeks with this thing called unseen priorities. There are things about our hearts that are just ways about us. These are things that we count as important. It's not seen. And God pays attention to those things. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, now this is when they were about to choose a king. And God was talking to Samuel, his prophet, and he says, I want you to go anoint this king. And David shows up. He's this hopeless-looking kid, scrawny kid. You know, like, when, for those of you who are in the teenage years, I'm telling you, it does get better, okay? <laughs> you tr- I mean, you try and try to put on muscle mass. I still remember. I was like a kid who had a valley between my hip bones. It was like that. I mean, now, no matter how I try, I can't squish it in. But <laughs> it, was, it was like one of those things where I'm like, I could eat as much as I could, and there would still be bones sticking out here. That was the kind of kid that showed up in the context of Samuel came to anoint a king, and he saw these strong, strapping lads, big, huge guys, grown men working the fields. And then there was this scrawny kid that God was actually having his heart on. But Samuel was getting distracted by really cool-looking dudes who looked like they were king material. And God says, no, what you're getting distracted by, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now this refrain, it's not just in this context. This is a principle of Scripture that applies right across the whole canon of Scripture. So wherever you're reading Scripture, again in the garden, when God says to Adam, where are you? He's not trying to play hide and seek with them. He's not saying, oh crud, where, I lost you, where did you go? That question, where are you, is an issue of your heart is trying to play hide and seek. There is something I see 
that needs to be addressed right now. And that's how, that's the measure of a man. That's the measure of a woman, is the things that control these unseen priorities. So that's what I'm going to unpack over the next few weeks. What are those things that drive us that we don't, no one else sees? I mean, we could be doing the best Bible reading plan. We can sing all the worship songs here. We even sound like our family looks great. We made it. Side note, for anyone who has kids and made it to the church meeting, well done. Um, For all of you, the rest of you, well done too, but um, especially for people who have kids. But sometimes you, you were good at those parts because those are the things that people see. So when someone asks you, how are you doing? I'm fine. Or as my wife loves to point out, she's like, when was the last time you said something that wasn't the word okay? She asked me, she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, okay. She's like, okay is like a few clicks short of great. And I'm someone who hates to talk in superlatives. So it's like when someone asks me a question, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Or okay. She's like, what? It's like, Are you in trouble? Something's bugging you? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Anyway, side note. So coming back on on the point where the things that we say outside and the things that we appear to be is not really what God values. So we could have the best-looking ministry. We could have the best-looking family. Our kids are doing great at school. Our you know, grandkids, grandparents, everything. Oh, we look perfect. How many of you have that perfect family? Okay, good. We're all in the same boat. So if we all have something that's a little out of whack, how many of you feel the threat or the pressure of needing to get that sorted out? Because someone's going to see. Someone's going to notice. Someone might think less of because I just have this mess, or I have this issue. And God says, no. I'm looking somewhere further. There are priorities that I want to get in place first. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. It says, The way of a man or a woman, any person, the ways of a person seem pure in their own eyes. It's like, this makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing life. I'm winning. Hashtag. Let's do it. You know? Blessed and all of that stuff we say over ourselves. It seems right to us. But the Lord puts everything in the balance. And this is something that is very important that you need to recognize when you're dealing with God. Especially when you see other people who have struggles and you feel like God really should pull this person up for this. God weighs everything in the balance. Illustration. When you have kids, there are certain times, case in point with our oldest, for instance, we say, I want you to clean the table and load the dishwasher. Come well, I did the dishwasher like just yesterday. and It's his turn. I'm like, well, he's eight and she's six but come on like it's not even my bowl 
So the way I deal with him, I'm weighing things in the balance, which includes his age, includes his maturity, includes the fact that I gave you an instruction. You've heard my voice longer than the others. There's a certain life that you have lived with me that does not give you a free pass. When my three-year-old says, it's not, I don't know, like, this is a verbatim, happens in our house. I'm like, who made this, like, is, are you seriously going to eat another snack over here? She's like, yeah, because I did. <laughs> <laughs> now, the So my, when my three-year-old says something like, oh, I just did, I just made, I just had a snack and, and does that, there's a certain amount of that cheek where I'm like, no, we're going to address that, we're going to discipline that. But there's a grace I give for that moment because she's three. If my 10-year-old didn't, well, I just had a snack because I thought I could. I was like, you know the rules about this, bud. You know how this works. So there is a weighing of all things. It's not just the objectively saying, well, what is the issue here? Let's fix that issue. There is a journey. There is a wealth of relationship that falls all into the balance. The things that happened to you as a kid, the life you've lived, the marriage you've had. God counts all of these things when he comes to you and he says, child, I want to deal with this right now. So when he addresses something and he calls it a priority for you, he's not measuring you against the person who's sitting next to you at church. Neither is he measuring you against your spouse. What he is saying is, you and me, we have history. You and me. Let's work on this. I, I know exactly what you've been through. I, I mean, and he's the only person who could say that and not be lying. I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you're feeling. So for him to address something in you, and this is something that I hope, I hope, I hope, this is something that really permeates right through everything that we talk about this year. Anytime you hear God say your name, Call your name and sit with you. He is delighted in you. He is so, so passionate about you. Now, my 10-year-old does not see that when I'm saying you got to put that bowl in the dishwasher, even the bowl that wasn't yours. I am delighted in you. You know, you, you hate me and you don't, you don't even want me to... I'm not your enemy. I feel like your enemy sometimes because I'm addressing something. But there is not a shred of hate in me towards you. You understand that, right? In the context of your human parenting. I hate my kids, so that's why I'm... No, I, that, that thought doesn't even arise. 
Now, that happens with us being evil parents. Imagine God who is all good. Jesus said that. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? So when you ask for help, when you come and sit with him, he's not going to say, well, I told you so. You should have figured this out by now. You've been a Christian since what? No, he doesn't do that. He sits with you and he says, I understand your journey. I weigh everything in the balance. Everything that's happened to you, things that you have done, things that you've messed up, things that you're great at, all of it. I hold it together and I say, son, daughter, this is something I want us to talk about. So when God looks at things, he always looks at heart priorities. And heart priorities are not things that people can gauge. We're used to gauging things based on Bible reading. Church attendance, family devotions, good, all good things. But those are the things that Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For when you have, for then you will have, this is a very important thing to understand, no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Because he immediately discerns the motivation. Immediately. Straight out the gate. It's not even like, hang on, let me get the feel for where you're at. No. The moment you did it, so even you sitting here right now in this moment, he knows the motivation of your heart. The moment it shifted from a divine pursuit of him to being something of, oh, I got to do church. I have to be there. Because it's Sunday. My mom, my parents... I mean, I would, what can I, all of those things, he immediately gets to that motivation. And he says, no, this is not a pursuit of me. So when he addresses it, he's saying, this is a heart issue that is more concerned about what other people think. Or what you look like to yourself even. For self-propping up. And then Jesus talks about a f several things. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting. And in the middle of this passage of scripture, so write down Matthew chapter 6. It's good for homework. Just read through it. Just see what Jesus' heart is here. So he's talking about the needy, and he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, don't go, oh, Lord, I thank you for you are great and most awesome. Like, what? So did you have all the $2 words that we can all count? Like, what, what is it that you were trying to get after? Like in the church meeting or in your front of your kids? You want to sound like the person who has it. So he addresses that. Don't, don't be like the Gentiles who love to like talk so that their prayer is like a little speech. Stop giving speeches. Go, close the door, go talk to your father who is in secret. He pays attention to every single word. Respond to him there. And then he taught us to pray. Let's read that together, actually. Verse 9, it starts in verse 9, and he says, I want you to pray like this. Instead of praying with lots of big, loud, huge, fancy words, 
And this was not meant to be a verbatim prayer that we pray. That, that's the problem. In the church today, it's like a thing. You, you see it on the back of like church bulletins and everywhere. And it's part of, you know, orders of service. He was saying, I want to give you a model of how simple this is. Set the context that God is delighted in you as a father. Our father who is in heaven. Your name is so holy. You're not like anyone else. So I want, I want to, as I come to you, I, I don't want to act casual, but at the same time, I want to know, I know that you have called me to sit by your side as someone who's dearly loved. You're not dealing with me as the almighty God of heaven and earth. You're dealing with me as the God who is my father. So he says, pray like that. So don't start with big long-winded prayers just start with lord you're my father first come with that acknowledgement then talk to him your kingdom come now this is where it sets the context for what we're going to be doing this year where the motivations of my heart are set to something that is not of this place of my 401k my kids going to college it's not about those things your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven lord and as it concerns me give me my daily bread that includes every word that comes from his mouth we're not talking about just physical food give me the things that will sustain me today I'm not trying to talk about what will sustain me when I'm 75. Sustain me today. If you're at 71 or 75, Lord, give me for today. I don't need to plan for the next 20, 30. And this is a daily practice I'm talking about, of learning to come to God with simplicity. This is, my goal is to give you something that you can say, this is not complicated. This is simple stuff. I don't need to understand deep theology for me to be able to do these simple things. Forgive, forgive me, my debt. The things that I have racked up in the, knowing that Jesus has paid for it all. And 1 John chapter 1 takes us through this, so write that down in your Bible. If you're ever reading this passage, we're, because the work of Jesus has already paid for every debt. So there is no outstanding balance in your name. Does that make sense? However, when I do mess up during my day, it's almost like lactic acid buildup in a muscle. I have done something that makes this muscle inefficient because it's starting to get crampy. Does that make sense? So there are certain things in my heart where I need to get to a place where I say, Lord, I don't want to keep any long accounts. I, I don't want to let this just drag out. I want to come back to you, confess where I have wronged somebody or I have wronged you. I have let go of some of the things that you have given me. I just want to come back to you. Forgive me my debt as I forgive those who have debts against me. Right? So places where other people have offended you, 
This is where forgiveness, those, those things are so big. When you don't release forgiveness, you are carrying that debt into your bedtime, into your sleep. For many of you here sitting here today, if you are struggling with sleep, ask the Lord, are there things I need to release in forgiveness? These are things that, there are so many things that we carry simply because we just don't want to do the simple things of saying, Lord, you have forgiven me, so I will forgive. It does not nullify what that person did to you. It does not make them any less culpable for what they did. But as it pertains to me and God, I am clear. I have let go. And again, this is not some deep theological like 15 steps. No, simple. Lord, you have forgiven me. I will release forgiveness. Do you see how simple it is? If, if it seems overly simplistic, but that's what walking with God is. Lead us not into temptation. Or keep my feet from temptation. Lead me away from that. That's what that phrase means. So lead me outside of those places where temptation, those places where my flesh is weak, where my mind is weak, where I'm prone to going down a certain path. Lord, guard me. Help me. This is what we were talking about when we say the peace of God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. To have a guard over your mind so that when an assault is coming against your soul or your body, to say, no, I have been given the presence of God for this moment. So in this passage, I hope you just see, just from that prayer right there, what he is talking about is not a way to pray those words. He's saying, I want to show you just the basics of what you can do to have a very simple relationship that has certain habits built into it of releasing forgiveness, receiving your provision, of acknowledging his position, of acknowledging who you are and who he is. Imagine if you prayed like that, just simply, without overcomplicating it. You will start to find the motivations of your heart stop becoming less and less of a tirade or a big complaint list that you have every time you think about prayer. I will put my hand up. I know that there were seasons in my life where every time I would think about praying, it was just a long list of things I needed fixed. So my first association with God was one of fix-it Felix, right? So I was like, all right, here's the thing. Okay, go ahead, do your thing. And, and then I have this thing, and then I have this thing. Just the delight of the relationship that, Lord, you're my Father who is in heaven. Your name is like unlike anyone else. I'm drawn to places of simple worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In my life. So now here's a kicker. Verse 20. Uh, verse 19. Let's do verse 19. So this is following him teaching them how to pray. Do not. Do not. Do not. 
lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. So he's making, showing you a parallel. The things that you accumulate, the things that you can pursue, the things that most of us who have a job or a career or a goal educationally, all drives towards a certain end. What is that end? That I get more stuff at the end of the day. I'm able to enjoy life on my terms. Whichever way you slice it, that's, that's what it ends up to be. Just over this past year, the number of people, especially those who are in, this, in their 60s, the amount people have been talking about retirement and what is happening to your retirement accounts can draw you into a place of such anxiety and stress. And you forget, the moth and the rust will take it anyway. I don't get to take any of it. Where are those places of simplicity with God? Yeah, I plan for my life, I plan for my future, I plan for my kids, as best as I know, by keeping that prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. That becomes my driving focus, my motivation to save for my future, my motivation to plan, to budget, to do all of these things, all come with the context of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The day you take this from my hand, from my stewardship, yours, it's all yours. So which is why when we come, when, you know how sometimes when we talk about giving in the church, where 10% or tithe, those are irrelevant numbers in one sense. It's an issue of faith about whose kingdom we're building. 100% of my paycheck belongs to him, not 10. If he does not have the ability to call out 100% of what I have, in any space of my life, a hundred percent of it, then he is not God to me. I am. We, we just have to reckon, I mean, th that's just putting it very plainly. For where your treasure is, this is verse 21, and this is going to be an important, and this is the title of today's message. Where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also. So I remember when I started this message, I talked about unseen priorities, things that matter to us, which other people don't notice. Jesus is saying, let me show you exactly where that is. Tell me what you value, and I will tell you what those unseen priorities are. Because where your treasure is, your heart is right there. So for all the churchy things we do, for all the things that we say, for all the wonderful things that we accomplish, put it in a context of marriage. When we have, I can say, okay, you know, there was a disagreement we had. 
the way to fix this is a good way, like words of affirmation. You know, I, this is what I did wrong. I apologize for this. Da, 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 da. All good, good, perfect. Please do that. And if you're a spouse who has not learned some of these tips, <laughs> learn it. These are good communication techniques to bring restoration in places where your marriage is on shaky ground. However, before a love doing is a love choosing. I choose to make the decision, and Hannah and I, when we got married, one of the things that we made was, I'm going to choose you first. Then we'll talk about the love aspect and how love works out. I got to choose you first. If you're my person and you're it, whatever bother I have about what a, you are being right now, <laughs> all fall to the wayside in the context of, I chose you. I so, and, and again, I make that affirmation. That's what the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be. Our Father. I set that context again. You are dad. I am not. Your kingdom come, not mine. I'm setting that context again as a choice gate. I'm simplifying all of the decisions. So now when I deal with the heart motivations and then what ends up becoming the value or the treasure, I'm able to have a conversation with my spouse that says, I've already done the choosing. Now what are the things I need to do? Do I need to say sorry? Do I need to bring her flowers? Do I need to cook food, put the kids to bed, do all of the above. <laughs> what is it that shows that choice means something. But where your treasure is, your heart is also. And heart starts with choices. Then follow habits. Habits, the problem is in the Christian faith, we have got a lot of Christian habits that we tout. And we say, you have to read Bible. You have to pray like this. And you have to do this devotion. and do All good, all good things. The problem is we haven't fundamentally chosen the equation. That your will will be done, not mine. So if it meant I have to re read Bible for six hours tomorrow. Oh, I don't, I don't do reading. Uh, reading is not my thing. Guess what? It just did. It just became your thing. Why? Because the relationship mattered. And that often is the question in the church. We have not settled the equation. Who are you to me? I'm, are you just somebody who gets to be God and... You know, I do the Christian thing. I go to church. And he's like, I weigh the heart. If I cannot see your heart getting behind it, I don't want any of it. He says it in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13, he says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not just with your, okay, if I did anything wrong, I'm sorry, you know. How many of you in, in, in spousal disagreements have said that? It's the worst statement. It, it's like the most ambiguous statement and the nothing statement. It's a big nothing burger. Right? It's like, if I did anything wrong, first of all, that word if started the sentence. That is the worst. So it's, the, it's those kind of things that make for useless talk. 
And a lot of our Christian faith is useless talk. Why? Because we haven't settled the heart issue of saying, Lord, I seek you with my whole heart. Go back to Luke, um, Matthew chapter 6. I really would encourage you to go and do this in your own time. The eye is the lamp of the body. This is verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So basically you're in the dark. If your eye cannot see, you cannot see. Right? So everything is dark around you. But if the light that is in you, and this is the problem, this is the subtlety of it. The light that we think we have, aside from God, oh, it's pretty bright in here. I mean, I, I, mean, I can see what, what needs to happen. I need to have this job. And if my wife you know, works this many hours, we'd have that. And if my kid did this career path, that would be good for him. And we have a light that seems right to us. And what Jesus is saying here is, if the light that is in you does not come from the light which is Him, how great the darkness is. You don't even know how dark your world is. Because you think you're seeing pretty great. So if your eyes that are meant to be, so your spiritual eyes, your heart eyes, are seeing something and you're like busy living life and you're doing your thing, a little bit of Christianity sprinkled in there. It looks good to everybody. And then Jesus says, I'm looking at the heart. I'm weighing everything that I have, our equation, you and me. I'm not talking about everybody else, just you and me. What is our equation? And he says, I've given you light to see. But if you are more concerned with taking your own light, the darkness in you is great. The darkness that is in my three-year-old is great. The darkness in my 10-year-old should not be that great. Does, does that make sense? In the equation that we have, you and I have walked a certain road together. I have given you light to see that we are responsible for this house. So if there is a bowl on the table, you pick up the bowl, and, and even though it wasn't your bowl. There is a heart aspect that I have dealt with in my 10-year-old, which I want to see formed. So when I see you push against that and say, but my light is, it wasn't my bowl. Ah, but now I can call that out. Because I have given you light for this. So for those of us who are walking in certain things, we're not to judge someone else for their darkness. But to say, my brother, my sister, step into the light. When God shines on our darkness, guess what? The light breaks through. All those places that you thought you had to figure out, you don't have to figure out anymore. It's a simple equation. Lord, I don't know what to do. What do you do? What would you have me do? Suddenly your relationships become simpler. The things you have to do become simpler. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. I want you to hear this, hear this, hear this. You cannot 
serve God and yourself. We are prone to serving our, because in the previous times, it was more communal. So community success was what mattered more. We're now living in a generation where individual success matters more. Collective success is not something that is perceived as clearly. So in the context of scripture, you will see people talk about money in a, in a general context. But now, money is a personal growth tool. Wealth and all the things I acquire are personal tools. And that's the subtlety of it. We have masters right now sitting in this room. And you will have to decide which one you're going to serve. Is it me? My family, my equations, and the things that matter to me. You will be devoted to one. Devotion is a simple thing. It's a yes-no gate. The moment you hit no, it's yes to the other one. The moment you hit yes to this one, it's no to the other one. You cannot split it. It's not a yes-no, yes-no. I have good days when I'm a yes with God. and a, No, no, no. That is what Jesus is trying to say. You will either be devoted to one and do what to the other? Despise. How many of you despise God here? Ah. Now do you see what I'm getting at? God, this is what he does when he does a heart surgery. He says, my son, my daughter, these are things that draw you to places of despising the things I say. I want to bring, so when I bring it to your attention, it's not me trying to hit you on the head. I'm bringing you to an awareness where things have got your heart and pulls you to a certain direction where you're like, but I love God. No, you don't. But I love God. No, you don't. And, the, and this kind of chaos that happens in our soul, he says, I want to deal with that. When that becomes singular, he says, make the choice and then I will tell you how to say sorry and do all the other things. But make the choice to say, Lord, my heart is yours. Reaffirm those things before him. The simplicity of these things is what will drive this relationship forward. Not all the doing things. Not all the other stuff that everyone else sees. We are solving this problem right at the root. Not at the on the frilly end where everyone gets to notice how well you prayed or how much you gave to the church or how well you discipline your kids or what amazing people your, your, your family is. Those are all the frills. The issue is what drives me? Lord, I want you to have that. So the last verse I want to focus on is verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that concern your life. Every single thing that we just talked about. Go read this chapter by yourself. And Jesus goes through a whole bunch of things. And he's like, don't for a second think that I as the God in your life, I'm trying to make you the unimportant little peon who has to somehow come and just do stuff for me. Uh-uh. I value every single thing that matters to you. I know you need it. 
I know the cries of your heart. So which is why I'm saying I hope you see that whenever you approach God, it comes from a place of just sheer delight in you that he loves you. That is why he is interested in your heart. He's not interested in you just looking like you can behave. When you go out as parents, don't you feel this pressure sometimes? Like when you're at a restaurant. Put, no, no, don't go underneath the table. Don't take the crayons. It's like you want your kids to just behave like normal humans. But it seems like whenever you go to a restaurant, that's when your kids decide to become like George of the Jungle or something. And in those kind of moments to say, Lord, how much of my appearance feeling am I projecting onto my child to say, I want you to behave. Oh, I'm sorry. She's, I just woke a kid up. Right? I just want you to behave. And that anger that comes out from us as parents, we know what that feels like. The problem is we feel that that's what God's like. So when he addresses something in us, we feel like he's looking for a behavior modification. But what he's getting after is, I have an equation with you. So this, this is something I do often with my kids. I say, when, I, when you hear my voice, do you know that when I'm speaking to you, what I'm calling you to do is to love me? I'm, I'm looking for the love in your heart for me. That's all I'm looking for. I love you, and when I'm saying this, when I'm saying no to this, I want to draw you to a place. Now, there are days when I have exactly that and louder, I have yelled at my kids. Because I want a behavior modification. Because I'm like, fix this right now. But when I get back to those places of, yes, God has called me to disciple my kids the way he disciples me. I'm after your heart. What is driving you to not value what I have said? That is the issue. It's not the thing you did. Even though you might have broken something that cost like 800 bucks. That is not the issue as much as, why did you think it was insignificant that I as your father said something to you? That your love for me would cause you to be like, I don't really need to value that. That is the issue. That is what I need to get after. And so when God addresses certain things in your life, I want you to remember he's addressing value systems. What is it the values that you have that draw you towards him or away from him? So when he calls you out, he's never calling you out for a behavior modification. He's calling you for a heart change. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, and we ask that you would draw us to places of simple faith. Lord, and anything that accommodates unbelief in our hearts, Lord, I ask that you'd help us, show us, alert us to it, Lord, that we might move with you when you move. When you call us out, when you draw us to a place of repentance, Lord, we thank you that you never do it. Uh, with harshness, Lord, but you do it out of love because you seek after our heart. So, Lord, I ask that our hearts would be open to these things, Lord, that we would grow through these weeks as we go through this year, Lord, that we would see you more clearly in the things that matter to you. In Jesus' name, amen.